The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for being with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us. Thank you for listening. Thank you also for going on the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page and liking our posts, and thank you for sometimes posting on there. Thanks for letting me know what's happening for you in your recovery walk and your spirituality walk. I appreciate your participation here because recovery is a community effort, and it really helps. We all help each other. So I want to thank you as well for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other spiritual community, your family, letting people know what we're doing here on unityonlineradio.org, letting them know about the spirit of recovery and all the good stuff that you're learning and hearing and all the inspiration that's right here on Spirit of Recovery. And uh, thank you for letting me know that the guests that I bring are touching your heart, opening your mind and transforming your consciousness and, and really supporting you in your spiritual growth. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and uh, my guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to us here on Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can, of course, listen live via your computer or your smartphone, or uh, you can go to Stitcher.com and download their app in search for Spirit of Recovery. You can uh, certainly listen through iTunes. If you have an Alexa-enabled device, you can ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio. You can also listen to uh, archives. We've got lots of great podcasts archived on our website. You can access that through any of those venues, or you can just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery, and you will find wonderful years' worth of great guests and lots of wisdom and lots of love on there. So I encourage you to do that, and you can listen at your leisure. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction or you're just curious about what addiction and recovery is all about and how that's related to spirituality, you are very welcome here. You're welcome to email in or um, 
call in today would be better. We're having a little some challenges with our email, but uh, call in a question or a comment for my guest, and we're delighted uh, for you to do that. I always give a shout out to family members because that's how I am participating here as a part of the recovery community, as a family member and friend. There's recovery for us too, and um, uh, as family members and friends to help us to center in on our own lives and learn some self care and some self love and learn what's really helpful to those people we love uh, rather than enabling that disease of addiction. I want you to know also that if you like what you hear on Spirit of Recovery or the many other great programs on Unity Online Radio, you can donate. It's a nonprofit venture. Unity Online Radio is. The hosts all give their time uh, freely. We are not paid, um, and it's a, a great opportunity. We all do it because we love it and because we want to get the word out about uh, spirituality in, in lots of different ways. So if you'd like to support uh, this nonprofit radio, Radio station, you can do that by texting seven two seven two seven from your smartphone, and um, you can make a one-time or an ongoing uh, contribution. And it's a, it's a real help; it keeps it going. And again, lots of great programs. So, if you want to do that, you can. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I am a Unity minister and also an addictions counselor. I'm also a person that has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And over 36 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And I am so grateful because it's transformed my life. It was the opening for me to even be introduced into Unity and uh just to, to keep growing spiritually. So my walk continues to be an integration of the unity principles and the recovery principles. And again, it keeps transforming me and keeps me growing. So I am delighted, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share these ideas uh, with you and also to hear what's happening for you in your spiritual growth. So today, um, I'm having uh, back a guest that was here several years ago, and I'm just delighted to have her back. Her name is Kay D., and uh, Kay's going to be sharing with us today about nourishment for the heart and soul. Um, Kay is a person who's in long-term recovery from the disease of food addiction, and she is also a self-described unitic, which means a unity student or a person who is... uh, lives and works with these unity principles, these spiritual principles. And um, we're going to be talking today about recovery from food addiction. You know, food addiction really is a serious uh, disease, it, and uh, it is harmful in a lot of levels. And uh, But there is hope, and there's help for recovery, just as there is uh, from any form that addiction might take. So my guest Kay came into a 12-step program for food addiction over 10 years ago, and then shortly after that she discovered Unity, and she is delighted at how well the 12 steps and Unity work together, and they nourish her heart and her soul and keep her growing. Kay is a writer and a teacher, and she has traveled the world, and she'll talk with us about that some too, uh, remaining abstinent even when uh, she didn't really have access so much to face-to-face meetings in other parts of this wonderful globe, and how she's kept developing her spiritual life. So she's going to share with us today about uh, what food addiction is and how recovery works. So Kay, welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you so much, Reverend Anna. It's a pleasure to be with you again today. I'm just really, really glad that 
that you're here. Yeah, thank you. Glad you're back. So, um, first of all, tell us a little bit about food addiction. Um, not everybody really understands it, and it's a it's a complex uh, situation. So, what is it? Well, that's a really good question. <clears throat> you know, when I first um, was introduced to the subject of food addiction, I kind of raised my eyebrows a little. I thought, well, this, you know, this is sounds silly. You know, everybody's addicted to food. If if I don't eat, I'll die. Right? Any any organism that has to eat, you know, could could theoretically be called a food addict. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I came to find out um, by hearing people tell their stories is that there seems to be a line that gets crossed at some point when we decide to use food as a drug. And that decision may not even be conscious. Um, For me, it certainly wasn't conscious. I never would have described myself as an emotional eater or using food as a drug or anything like that. Um, But for me, I was not happy. And I was very obsessed with my weight, um, how I looked, what I weighed, um, constantly on a diet all the time. And um, at the website for um, foodaddicts.org, there's a list of 20 questions. And the 20 questions say things like, um, you know, are you obsessed with your body image? Um, Do you find that you're eating things even when you don't want to eat them? Do you feel like you're going on a diet every Monday? Um, uh, you know, if, if, you know, everybody, again, everybody has to eat, but if for me, I was hurting myself with the food, I was doing things with food that I didn't really want to be doing. And Mm -hmm. so for me, that kind of crossed the threshold to addiction. Um, again, it took me a long time for, of going to these meetings and hearing other people's stories about food addiction to really get it because in our society today, food is everywhere. And food mm-hmm. is love, and we use food to celebrate, and um, we get together with our friends, you know, on a Friday after we've gotten paid, and what do we do? You go out for dinner. So food is a really lovely part of any culture, you know, not just the American culture. Um, and so it, I think it's very difficult to understand, for people to understand that this is a real thing. The other thing I might add to that is I sort of had this idea in my mind that, you know, a food addict might be a person that is maybe on these um, shows. You know, they, there's a lot of a lot of shows on TV these days, a lot more than when I was growing up. And they have these shows where they they show people in a rehab, and and maybe they're like five or six or even seven hundred pounds, and mm-hmm. they're sort of bedridden, and and maybe they're ordering food in. And, and in my mind, because I didn't weigh five or six or seven hundred pounds, I thought, well, well, those people must be food addicts, but not me. Surely not me. Um, and, and what I came to find out is that food addiction is sort of like a spectrum. Um, and so we could be at any part of that spectrum. It, you do not necessarily have to be an obese person to be a food addict. Um, and I know personally we have many members in the program that are um, were anorexic. They might have been bulimic. Um, they might have just always been in, in a normal size body, but they were working overtime to keep themselves in that body, maybe doing things like taking diet pills or throwing up their food or exercising for hours and hours a day, you know, not 
not keeping a normal body size with little or no effort, let's say. Let's say mm-hmm. that they're putting a lot of time and effort into, you know, I have to run this many miles a day or else, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and, and so when, when, when we have that obsession in our mind, and, you know, this all comes from Alcoholics Anonymous, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. We even study the Alcoholics Anonymous big book, but the, the big book talks about a, a mental obsession. And mm-hmm. so food addiction is not only a physical allergy to certain kind of foods, but it's also a mental obsession with what we're eating. And, and maybe I'm eating one meal, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat at the next meal. Maybe as soon as I wake up, I'm trying to plan out what am I going to eat this day. Or maybe I'm so obsessed with a certain kind of restaurant I have to go to that that sabotages efforts to get together with friends because the obsession is so strong that I have to eat this food or I have to go here or there or I, or it could be the other end of the spectrum. If I'm on the anorexic side, maybe no way I can't go there. I don't even want to go there with my friends and, and uh, because, because that's a place that, you know, I, I, I'm going to restrict that day. So mm-hmm. I hope I hope that sort of explains, but I think food addiction can be, people can be on either end of that spectrum or somewhere in the middle. Some people come into the program and they do not have any weight to lose, but they feel that their mind is not quiet around food and they feel very obsessed with food thoughts. So mm-hmm. it can be, it, you can be anywhere on the spectrum. And there's probably even more I forgot about that's in that 20 questions, but, um, you know, that sort of, you know, there's a saying about a cucumber turning into a pickle. And and once that cucumber turns into a pickle, the pickle can't turn back into a cucumber, right? We can't mm-hmm. unpickle it. And so for mm-hmm. many of us food addicts, and just addicts in general, we may not always be able to say, well, this is the day that I crossed the threshold, that I, that I turned into the pickle, that I turned into the food addict. But mm-hmm. over the years, what I can tell you about my own personal story Mm-hmm. That food was always love in my house, and mm-hmm. there was lots of kind of food in my house that was sort of maybe not the healthiest food. And um, I always felt like I was in a battle with it because I wanted to my body to look a certain way, and I knew that if I ate the way I really wanted to eat, my body was not going to look a certain way that I wanted it to look. And so I never felt that I could really truly eat what I wanted to eat. And, and they kind of have jokes that say, oh, um, you know, a woman's dream isn't to have the perfect man. It's to be able to eat anything she wants without, you know, without imp- mm-hmm. with impunity, you know. And, right. um, and, and but for a food addict, that, that could really, you know, not be a joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, for that, sure. That could, be, that could be really true. So. Right. You know, when you're talking about this, Kay, it's uh, making a term I've heard and, I, and you know, again, and. Addiction and recovery, there are lots of terms. They're neither right nor wrong, whatever. But I've heard the term disordered eating, which kind of covers, I guess, all of it, like the anorexic restricting what people's in, intake or um, or all the others, the bulimia, the throwing up, or just the plain old co- compulsive eating. Does What is uh, that? Uh, has that resonate with you, that term disordered eating? I, I, I think I think it does. I mean, I I've, I'm kind of not really on the technical side of things. Like you know, yeah, I, yeah. I heard in your bio, you're an addiction counselor. So, mm-hmm. you know, from that standpoint, it, it does make a lot of sense. And I guess maybe that's a, 
a really concise way of saying what I used a lot of words to say. <laughs> because no, no. the disordered eating, it is. It, it is anywhere on that spectrum. I can mm-hmm. be restricting food, starving myself. Um, I've heard people that use a um, hundred packets of sweetener, equal or sweet and low in a day. Um, mm. uh, I've heard um, people that, that are like eating nothing but sugar at all. Um, I've heard stories of, um, you know, people going through drive throughs um, you know, five or six times and they choose different drive throughs or they go like the alcoholics will say they went to the liquor store on the other part of town because they were embarrassed and they didn't want the, the liquor store to see them every time. But the mm-hmm. food addicts sometimes go to the different drive through on the other side of town so that the mm-hmm. people won't see them. But I think, I think really when we say disordered eating, and this is just coming to me now, it's not any, you know, sure. a technical term and I don't have a PhD in food addiction, but I think it's, it's any of these activities around food that might bring us shame. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I felt I felt a lot of shame for, for mm-hmm. how I was eating and for eating mm-hmm. when I didn't want to eat. Or and, and really what I felt the shame about maybe wasn't so much of the eating, but it was the way I looked because I, I did have weight to lose. You know, my top weight was over 240 pounds and I'm only mm-hmm. five, three and a half. Mm-hmm. So, so I think... And, and maybe, and may, I don't know if this could work for any addiction. I'm thinking about, you know, drugs, alcohol, um, behaviors with, with people, mm-hmm. if I'm codependent. Any kind of behavior I'm engaging in with that substance, that brings me shame. And so maybe, I don't know if that could work for disordered eating. What do you think? I think so, yeah. Again, it, yeah, it's just a, um, uh, an idea or term that sometimes people use that, that kind of covers it. But yeah, I think so. So, Tell us a little bit more about the shame. Um, you were saying for you maybe it had to do with uh, your body appearance. I don't know. Tell us what, what is shame and how to tell us a little bit more about how that was affecting you. Well, um, you know, my, my food addiction story is sort of a, you know, it's kind of a continuum, let's say. So, you know, many of us, when we tell our stories, we say, you know, some people say they were born as a food addict. They, they know that food was the very first substance that they were using addictively because it's one mm-hmm. of the things we can get when we're, when we're young, you know. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. what, do your, what do your parents give you if you're crying? They give you a cookie, you know. At least that's what they did to me to kind sure. of shut me up, right? They gave, gave mm-hmm. me a cookie so my sure. mom could shop in the grocery store in peace. Um, I think... And I think that's where the, the cucumber might turn into the pickle is this idea about shame. And, I'm, and I haven't really thought through this, but, um, you know, for me personally, I had shame around um, I, might, I didn't want to eat. Like, let's say I went on a date. Mm-hmm. There was no way I was going to eat the way I really wanted to eat in front of that date. So I might eat before I went. And then mm-hmm. when I'm in front of my date, I can eat like a lady. And mm-hmm. then after the date's over and I'm alone again then I could eat again the way I really wanted to eat. But it's sort of having this, um, I'm going to put on a certain face to the world. I'm going to um, behave a certain way to the world. And it's like that they say in program a lot of times, we want our insides to match our outsides, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's that being in alignment and having integrity that my mm-hmm. actions are matching um what, what I want people to think about me or, or, you know, being able to have integrity. And I think the shame for me came from not having integrity around my actions around food. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and really nobody, let me just back up and say, I don't feel like anybody on the outside was judging me, but me, 
You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't, I mean, I did have my family of origin would say things to me that it was judgmental, but I don't think it's unlike other families where my grandmother or, you know, if she came to visit, she might say, oh, you're, you know, you're, um, you're looking very nice. Or I was told that I had a proportionate body, that I had nice curves, just as, you know, your relatives watch you grow up, right? Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. you start developing, they might say, oh, well, you're, you know, you, you've got meat on your bones. You're, you've got a nice shape. That's what my grandma would say to me. I had a nice shape. Mm-hmm. And um, I started to understand that, you know, oh, this is, this is a way that people will accept you, you know, if you mm-hmm. look a certain way. And mm-hmm. so the shame came in where, again, because I really loved food and loved to eat more than my fair share of food um, and the wrong kinds of food, um, I, I did not, I was, I felt the pressure from the outside that I, I need to look a certain way in order to be acceptable, in order to be lovable. But in order to look that way, I can't really eat the way I really want to eat. And so I'm going to start this deceptive behaviors. Um, and, and maybe that means I'm going to um, eat when you don't see me, you know. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm right. going to hide my eating. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to um, go to the gym for two hours to burn off whatever it was I, I ate. But then, oh, well, there's a shortcut. If I throw it up, I don't have to go to the gym, you know. I could just put my finger down my throat. Um, and then I thought, oh, well, you know what? I don't even want to be hungry. If I can just stop being hungry, that'll solve it. So now I'll take some Dexatrim diet pills. And um, I don't even know if they make those anymore, but that I'm dating myself. But, mm. but th- then I wanted to try to find a way to make my appetite go away. And so for me, I think going back to your original question about shame, the shame came in when I was trying to manipulate and trying to control situations that I, what I've, you know, there's this um, saying that says, true happiness is wanting to do what you ought to do. And mm-hmm. I never wanted to do what I ought to do. What, what I wanted to do was very different than what I thought I ought to do. And mm-hmm. that's where I think the shame came in is, um, these deceptive behaviors. I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat something, and you're not going to see me eat. I'm going to hide. I'm going to go to the gym for two hours. Um, I'm going to find a way that either I'm going to try to not eat that food that I desperately want, or I'm going to find a way to make that food not show up on my body. So, mm-hmm. for my particular story of food addiction, I was not obese my whole life. I had, you know, in my my teenage years, my early twenties, I was a right size body, you know, and and when I was 118 pounds, I thought I was fat and I wanted to be 115. And when I got to 120, I wanted to be 118. And when I got to 125, I always wanted to be five pounds less than I was. And that's another part of the shame too. Um, there's something wrong with me. Um, I need to weigh five pounds less. I'm not, I'm not good enough. And, and what we learn in recovery, what, one of the cliche sayings is, I have enough, I do enough, I am enough. Mm-hmm. And, and so the shame caused me too to, um, you know, it kind of compounds on itself, I think. And then I kept feeling like, wait, I don't have integrity. I'm trying to show one face to the world, but really I want to do these other things. I want to eat this other way. And um, it caused a lot of, I think I think just feeling like feeling that pressure I put on myself that I had to be deceptive caused a lot of shame. Um, right. 
Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then this, it continues Kate, the cycle. That, that what? Excuse me. It, I said it continues the cycle. Right. So then then me, I'm filling uh, up my God-shaped hole. Yeah, go ahead. Well, because um, like all addictions, that's, I mean, th- there's so much isolation in that and what you're talking about, having to hide and, and feeling ashamed of and so forth about the discrepancies. Um, I, was there anybody or not that you think was aware uh, to any degree at all about the pain that you were in before you got into recovery? Um, well, that's a good question. I think I put on a pretty good face to the world. So if you, you know, my food addiction started really in high school, let's say middle school, high school. And, um, I came into recovery in my thirties. So people would probably say to you, and this is another important point. I'm glad you're bringing this up. I put on a really good face to the world. I was the lead in the high school musical. I was the vice president of the honor society. I was a very high achieving kind of person. Mm -hmm. Um, I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. I can bore you with all my things on my resume that, Mm -hmm. that, and on paper, I looked really good. So I think that not really anyone knew about the kind of cuckoo stuff going on in my head. I would say the one person who, who might've had the best inkling would have been my husband. Um, because after all, he was my husband, and, and he mm-hmm. lived with me. I mean, he still does, but, um, you know, he's still with me after all these years. But, um, but, but at any rate, I think that to a lot of people, a lot of people would say, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea that was going on because I was able to masquerade so well. And I was, a, <laughs> I was really high achieving and high performing. And I think that one of the, um, one of the misperceptions I had for sure, about addicts and addiction and people in 12-step programs was that they all must be pushing a shopping cart living under a bridge somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that there were people like me who had, you know, degrees and, 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 and had been, you know, held jobs and were, you know, good contributing members of society that could be battling these kind of problems. So I would say that my husband probably knew that I had a bad relationship with food and with my body image. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's also a fine line too, isn't it? Because in having girlfriends, and I'll, and I'll go back to my to my childhood, um, where I think this obsession was sort of born and sort of fed into, it was very normal in the house that I grew up in for my mom to tell me diet stories and to talk about how much we weighed and what diet are we going to do and is it going to be the cabbage soup diet this week and is it going to be the Scarsdale diet next week and oh look now there's a Hollywood diet and now there's a diet where you can eat one fruit a week or something you know you change your food mm-hmm. every day I mean I could rattle off the list of all the diets but and, and any food addict probably could so I think where where does that line cross I mean, isn't that what, what ladies talk about now, especially if you're in a mom's group and, and you've just had small children, and, and that's, the, that's the situation I was in when I came into recovery. I had a whole group of moms that, you know, we weren't working. We were staying home with our kids at the time, and what else did you talk about besides how to lose the baby weight? So, again, mm-hmm. where does it cross the line between just, you know, chit-chat and, and bonding with, with other ladies into a place of, you know, darkness where 
um, you know, it may be interfering with your ability to have fulfilling relationships with the people you care about. And I was just telling a sponsee this morning actually about that, that that's sort of my definition of, um, you know, what crosses the line between, you know, we're just having a good time over here and then, okay, this is addiction is when I started letting my obsession with food and how I looked interfere with my ability to, to, to live a good life or, or to live a happy life. You know, for mm-hmm. instance, my husband would have a company party at work and I would not even want to go because I felt so ashamed and disgusted with my looks that I didn't, couldn't wear the dress I wanted to wear, couldn't find anything that fit or didn't, wasn't happy with my appearance to sabotage us going at all to the company party because I'm, I'm so self-absorbed about mm-hmm. what I'm going to wear. That's, you know, that may be entering into the realm of addiction and maybe I needed some, some help for that. You know, I'm, I'm right. looking back over what, what are the places where that line gets crossed. And, and that's where in any 12-step program, I can't diagnose another person. You know, mm-hmm. I can only diagnose me. So I had to be in enough pain that caused me to look for some help and to walk in the door of that program. Right. Right. We're going to uh, take our break now, but uh, Kay, I want to really thank you for what you're sharing and in uh, your honesty and your vulnerability, and you're really pointing out some things. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm really struck by what you're just saying now, but I mean, addiction doesn't occur in a vacuum. There's, there's kind of like, it's a complex thing. I don't think anybody understands it totally, but, but when you're in recovery, you don't have to always, it doesn't matter. The technicalities is about you get it, and that's about when when have I crossed the line? When is my, my quality of life and relationship suffering here? And, um, and, uh, and, and when is the, just the societal context, you know, when is it just toxic? So, um, I want to thank you for what you share. And, and, uh, we're going to take a little break here and, uh, listeners stay with us and we'll be right back and, and, uh, we'll continue my conversation here and, uh, we'll be right back. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. 
empower your life, and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. feel so alone with your problems you don't know where to turn we invite you to call silent unity the 24 7 prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour listen and relax as you hear the beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love no matter what's going on in your life silent unity is always standing by the toll-free number is 1-800-NOW-PRAY for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host. And if you're just joining us, our topic today is nourishment for the heart and soul. And my guest is KD. Kay is a person in long-term recovery from the disease of food addiction. And she's also a self-described unitic, which means she's a person who lives these unity principles. And um, she's sharing with us today about her what food addiction is, what recovery from food addiction is, and, and uh, how it matters and, and what it's all about. And um, uh, she's really sharing some powerful uh, parts of her own life story, and uh, it's it's wonderful, so I really appreciate it. Before I get back to my conversation with Kay, I would like to invite you to join me in a brief moment in the Serenity Minute. Just a brief, brief moment to get quiet, to relax, to let go, and to allow yourself to make that conscious contact with your higher power as you understand it. So I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence of love uh, within you and allowing yourself to open up to love from the crown of your head all the way through your face and neck and shoulders and arms and hands and feel that power of love all the way relaxing you through the trunk of your body, through your legs and feet. And share with me this constructive idea. I let go of any sense that I'm not enough. The truth is, I am loved. I am enough. I let go of any sense that I'm not enough. The truth is that I'm loved, that I am enough. And so we let go now into the quiet.
thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. I trust that it was an opportunity for you to make conscious contact with that love that's who you are and with that love that is within you and that your higher power has for you, knowing that you are loved. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, KD, and um, we're going to talk some more about uh, the recovery process. So, uh, Kate, what was it? You know, you were talking about the shame and the isolation and the hiding and the lack of uh, integrity, lack of consistency um, in inactive addiction and active food addiction. So, what happened? You, you mentioned early in the program today that you went to uh, Food Addicts Anonymous, and but you had to sit in those meetings for a while before you could identify. What were some of the things early on that, that caught your attention that you thought, oh, yeah, and started to move you out of isolation and out of shame? Well, that's a great question, and I just want to clarify. So there's two different programs. There's a program called Food Addicts Anonymous, and there's another program called Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. And in oh, okay. the ones in recovery, that's the one I do. I'm, food, okay. I'm a food addict in recovery anonymous. Yep, and it's foodaddict.org. That's the website. Great. Tell, so, say that again. It's foodaddicts what? Food, foodaddicts.org. Great. And it's foodaddicts in recovery. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. Yep. All right. So what was it that got your attention? Well, pain is what got my attention, first of all, to get me in the room. So I'm... I I am not willing to change, and I don't think I'm unlike uh, a lot of other addicts out there. Unless I'm in a whole lot of pain, I'm not going to really be willing to change my behavior. And so I was in a very desperate and low point at the time that I went into addiction or food food addiction recovery. So I I couldn't even walk at the time. My my children were very young. I had a, a baby and a toddler and. And I had to be on crutches because I had damaged my knee from a lot of years of, of over-exercise. Mm-hmm. So literally pain brought me into the room. Um, and I knew that I couldn't go on eating the way I was eating and, and, try, and trying to, you know, my, my way had been um, eat whatever I want and then exercise to get rid of it. But it really wasn't working at over 200 pounds. You know, that, mm-hmm. that ship had sailed and they talk about, addiction being a progressive disease you don't start off you know really extreme it it, it it gets builds and builds and builds over time like the frog in the pot of water that just starts to boil slowly the frog doesn't know it's boiling you know so mm-hmm. I was at the point where I was definitely boiling and I knew that I was in pain so I came into the rooms and um, again I, I talked a little bit about this I thought it was silly I didn't really believe there could be such a thing as food addiction. Um, I really wasn't sure, but I really wanted the diet. (laughs) I wanted them to tell me what to eat, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing about coming into Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous is that they don't give a diet in that program. You don't get any food plan until you take a sponsor because the sponsor had to hold my hand and walk me through this. This was not a diet. Like all those other diets I had mentioned before, this was not like a diet. A diet, there's just a piece of paper with a list of foods and tells you what to eat and you're just supposed to do it. A food addict can't follow a diet. A food addict needs somebody to hold her hand and walk her through and say, this is what, how you're going to eat. This is how you're going to prepare your food. Just like, just like a newborn baby. 
Um, all the things I thought I knew about food had to go out the window. And the, and the reason to get to the point of your question about what started to resonate was that I had to hear other people in the room stand up and tell my story. So, and hopefully that's happening on this radio show today. Hopefully I'm <laughs> saying something to somebody out there that goes, wow. I used to think that way, or I am thinking that way, or I am hurting myself with food, and just to know that there's help out there. So I thought um, I didn't have a problem with food. I was fine. I just had a little weight to lose. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I started hearing the things that people did with food, and they talked about the bulimia, and they talked about the restricting, and they talked about being obsessed with their body image, and they talked about getting on the scale 10 times a day, and they talked about having shame around their weight and and not wanting to go places because they were ashamed of the way they looked. And they talked about not wanting to look in the mirror. Um, And uh, I I understood those things. And when they talked about their childhoods and they talked about, um, you know, uh, being brought up in a diet household where everybody was on a diet or or they had food pushers in their family pushing food on them. And um, I related to that. And from hearing the other people say these things it it i think a part of my isolation was that i didn't trust other people and i'll mm-hmm. also tell you and in, in I, i've been married a lot of years and i didn't share this kind of stuff that went on in my head around the food with my husband because he's not a food addict so mm-hmm. he he's just going to think it's silly he's not going to understand at least that's what i told myself i didn't even want to be vulnerable to even tell anyone what was going on um but when i went to these meetings and i heard you know, you walk into any 12-step meeting. I don't care if these people are recovering from gambling or food or alcohol or drugs. These people are some the most beautiful, honest people I've ever seen in my life. And, yeah. and, and in the regular world, I don't find that very often. Maybe you do, but I don't find often just people at workplaces or what, whatever, the grocery store being gut-wrenchingly honest and and being Mm -hmm. vulnerable and that was a really seeing that vulnerability and hearing those authentic stories made me feel like wow i'm doing that too i didn't realize that i was hurting myself with exercise i didn't realize that that i wasn't exercising in a way that was healthy for my body it was more of a punishment for my body Mm -hmm. um i was punishing myself because i ate this and 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 like well that's not that's not healthy thinking. <laughs> so it was only through hearing these stories, and, and I believe in the power of storytelling, Reverend Anna. Mm-hmm. Storytelling is the oldest form we've had in, in, in the history of humanity of how we connect, and it's how we've told oral traditions and, and histories of peoples and all that good stuff. And, and when you come into a 12-step meeting, what are we doing? We're telling stories, and we mm-hmm. heal through telling our stories. And that's why I feel so passionate about your show, because what does your show do? You're uh, uh, entertaining the storytellers and letting us tell our story. I don't know who's out there listening to my voice, but but somebody's going to get healed from it, I hope. Um, yeah, and, and I know I got healing from all the stories I heard listening mm-hmm. to all your other guests, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm one of your number one fans here. <laughs> Thank you. Much appreciated. Yeah, I'm really grateful for, for all the people that come on here, the guests, uh that have been on here for the last seven years have been doing this are amazing and I am touched 
and so grateful. And yeah, that's to me, that's how higher power reaches out is when we're honest and tell the story. It's like that's how higher power touches hearts. We have to be for sure willing. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. in answer to your question, that's I think that's really what it was. Was that I had not been exposed to people telling these these truths about what mm-hmm. they've been doing about the food, and I thought that food addiction was only for 500-pound people. And I wasn't 500 right. pounds, so I didn't belong there. But once I heard people, and, and by the way, in the rooms that I went in, nobody was, was heavy. I was the mm-hmm. only heavy person, me and the other newcomers. But once the people had been in the pro- the weight came off the people so quickly. People lost 10 and 15 and 20 pounds a month when they stopped putting the poison in their body. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I had never seen anything like that. So I was like, sign me up, you know. And um, so it took a while for me to realize I I wanted the spiritual healing, not just the physical healing from, from stopping putting the poison in my body and the, and the, the processed junk foods. But, but I also really kind of was addicted to the stories that people were telling. And that, that kind of broke me out of my isolation. And I can also very happily report that, um, you know, after almost 11 years in this program, my, I share a lot more with my husband, too, about the food addiction, even though he's not a food addict. Mm-hmm. But I feel um, I feel so strongly about helping other people. And he, you know, he knows how much time I spend on the phone sponsoring people and talking to other people that call me in the time of need and all this stuff. And um, and so I'm more willing to share with him about my food addiction. And it's only made our marriage stronger, really. And and I didn't realize how much I was kind of hiding all that stuff from him because um, mm-hmm. I certainly was hiding from him when I would throw up early in mm-hmm. the marriage. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I just think the power of story, the power of the group, the power of being with all these authentic people really helps. And that's why it's so important to get to meetings. You know, I can't, I can't read a book about recovery. If I want to learn to swim, I can't read a book about swimming. I've got to get in the pool. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think getting to the meetings is so important. You know, get to a local meeting somewhere in your town. If you go to foodaddicts.org, you will see, you can look up by state, and there's meetings everywhere. Um, and, and, if, and if there aren't any meetings, there's also phone meetings that people can attend. Um, mm-hmm. And those are at um, foodaddictsphonemeetings.org. Great. So there's resources. There's Absolutely. resources. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Kay, is um, that... Uh, I want to talk with you about that for a sponsor, uh, sort of what happened first, and, and and she has just passed away last week, so that's a big deal. But when you first came in and you connected with that sponsor, I'm going to make a guess here. You can tell me it may or may be wrong, but that while on the one hand it's wonderful that somebody's connecting with you, if you've been isolated for a long time, it's probably pretty scarier. I don't know. So what was that like to have this woman, uh, your sponsor, come and say, okay, I'm your sponsor, or however it happened anyway, you got her as your sponsor, and then she's saying, now I'm going to teach you how to eat, sort of, or maybe that's not what she said. Well, it was, yeah, well, it was, it was, um, it was terrifying, actually, and, and I always say this when I stand up in a meeting sometimes, if the topic comes up, I say, I would rather stand in front of a room of people naked with my hair on fire than to tell you what I'm going to eat every day. So mm-hmm. the food was so private to me, and it was so personal. 
And that may be another sign that I'm a food addict. <laughs> I've got some <laughs> weird relationship with food that I that I don't even want to tell you what I'm going to eat that day. But uh-huh. but what what ended up happening is, um, I, my, my the sponsor who was not my sponsor at the time, uh, she locked her keys in her car and couldn't get uh, couldn't get home. Mm-hmm. And we gave her a ride because she lived in our town. And um, during that car ride, it was it was it was the higher power working for sure because we chit chit chatted and and I started let my guard down and she offered to sponsor me and I said okay, and I was not going to get a sponsor. I had it. I was just going to go to these meetings and not get a sponsor. That was my. You plan. had a plan. You had a plan. I had like a plan. All, all of us do. We got a plan. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I was going to figure it out and I was going to work it, do it my way. You know, right. yeah. and then. And then that was it. So, uh-huh. but, but God had another plan for me. Yeah. So, so I was in the car with her. I, I, I trusted her enough to let her be my sponsor and, and she taught me what to do. And, um, and that was really scary. I had to tell her part of what we do is we promise what we're going to eat every day. So I said, I, she said, you're going to, you're going to commit your food to me and you're going to tell me what you eat and it's a promise and we don't break it. Well, that was scary. That was terrifying. But, um, and for 15 months, she held my hand and, and I spoke to her every single day for 15 months. And, um, and, and, and I started to make those milestones. You know, I got, um, my 90 days of abstinence and then I got six months and then it was a year and, and it was, it was amazing. And I couldn't believe the days were stacking up, but, you know, I can't do it alone. You know, that's what I learned in recovery. It's a we process and, and that's what, the founders of AA figured out too. They couldn't stay sober on their own. They had to, um, they had to help others, and they mm-hmm. had to pass it on. And that is a, a basic tenet of the twelve steps. And the meetings only exist for the newcomer. You know, the mm-hmm. meetings only exist to help those newcomers and to and to give people hope. Um, and so, yeah, that that woman who started me off and gave me such a beautiful, strong foundation passed away very recently mm-hmm. and um you know i can't help but think you know it just causes me to reflect and you know how much she changed my life and 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 all that time she gave me you know talking to me every single mm-hmm. day for 15 months and was such a beautiful gift you know right. and that and 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 i only get to keep this gift of recovery if i pass it on as well and, that, and that's that's a spiritual law anyway right it's the flow yes it is so. that's right mhm yeah so tell us a little bit about how how you have grown spiritually and uh you mentioned that a little bit ago is that you know you came in because of the physical aspects of the food addiction, but that you really found, I, I think you were said sort of early on that, no, you really had a spiritual desire to grow. Tell us about that. Well, it's kind of surprised me because um, I really didn't, wasn't interested in anything. Like I said, I just wanted the diet. I just wanted to lose weight. And I didn't realize that um, by putting boundaries around my food and by, um, by by surrendering and, and, and doing what somebody told me to do and, and stop trying to drive the bus and do things my way, when I took those directions, um, it opened up a whole new world of possibilities to me. And, and what I found really, um, maybe in the Bible they're called the fruits of the Spirit, but mm-hmm. I found that I have a lot more compassion. I have a lot less anger, a lot less rage. 
I'm a lot less prone to to snap or um, fly off the the handle and say something I'd regret. Um, and the the thing that's really surprised me the most is that I'm a lot more willing to help other people without any expectation of what I'm going to get back. Um, it, you, you know, in the old days, I wouldn't have wanted to help anyone um, because that would mean, you know, if if you helped me, I'd have to help you. And I didn't want to owe you anything. I, I had a very, like a ticker tape mentality in my mind all the time going. Um, and I had to size everything up and, um, and decide what was in it for me and is this going to be worth my time. And now I just have such a freer, um, a freer way of being about me that I'm just willing to do things without any expectation. And that's a real, that's just a free and beautiful way to live because it's exhausting mm-hmm. to keep that mental tape going all the time that I, I, you know, I'm, I'm keeping account and I'm keeping track. You know, I just put it out there and just do mm-hmm. it. And, and, and I don't mind at all. Um, I don't mind. In fact, I would say I've, it's so extreme that I think that's one of the only things in life that brings me true contentment is being of service to other people. And I hmm. do that in my job because I'm an educator. Um, mm-hmm. I do it in my 12 step life because I help others. I do it for my children because, you know, I still have children at home. Um, I'm able to be of service in my marriage to my husband. I, I just being of service in any way I can is really one of my top priorities these days. And, and I, that was not me before recovery. Hmm. What, what switch flipped for you to create that? Hmm. I, I really, I really don't know. I really don't know. I think, um, I think just seeing, just seeing myself, you know, when, when you work the 12 steps, you have to do a lot of self-reflection in those steps. We, we have to, you know, take a, fearless and searching moral inventory and we have to um, admit to God to ourselves and another human being the nature of our wrongs and and we get to make amends to people and I think that going over this process you know you don't work the steps once and then you you graduate (laughs) there's no cap and gown ceremony Um, I I continually work the steps and I think that going back and looking at that and seeing growth creates in me it ignites a passion to want to continue to grow and and my sponsor tells me my current sponsor tells me you know i'm so grateful i get to wake up another day because i what am i going to learn today i'm 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 still in school you know i'm i'm still mm-hmm. in my in my recovery school in my spiritual school and um and i think that's really exciting th- knowing and having the hope that i could be an even better version of myself tomorrow than i was today mhm that's powerful well, we're at the end of our time uh, here for the program today. But, Kay, I want to really thank you uh, for who you are, for your commitment to recovery and your enthusiasm. It just shines out through your voice. And um, I want to thank you for that. Thanks for telling your story and for your uh, enthusiasm for life and for being of service. And thanks for your vulnerability. You've, you've blessed me and I'm sure everybody that's listening today. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Reverend Anna, and I'm wishing you all the best, and I'm so happy that uh, Spirit of Recovery is going to continue. Absolutely. You bet it will. So, um, 
Listeners, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for joining us. And I know that you have been touched by all that Kay has shared. And I know that uh, you're making that conscious contact with your higher power and uh, working at your own recovery and finding that unfolding in your life. So have a wonderful week. And we'll be back here next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. moment we live can be holy and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so everything we do can be a prayer and by using our innate creativity with intention in every aspect of our lives that can indeed be true author carla kincannon wrote creativity is so much more than art making It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression. Optimist sees the good in all things, builds upon the most hopeful and cheerful view of matters, and expects the best possible outcome. The pessimist, unwilling to look for the good, rarely finds it. Both optimism and pessimism are states of mind. They are attitudes, not events. The words we most often use reflect our strongly held thoughts and affect every area of our lives. If you're finding more frustration than fulfillment in your life, Take a look at what you're thinking. Find something more positive to think, say, or do. Begin building a happier, more satisfying life for yourself today as you choose to look for and find the good in every person and circumstance. This Law of Life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 1-800-NOW-PRAY. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. 
I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.